Welcome to Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast with fraud expert Skip Myers. This is your guide to fighting fraud and chargebacks. Learn the best fraud prevention solutions and strategies. How to enhance your fraud prevention team. And how to prosecute criminals. Now, here's your host, Skip Myers. Coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, this is the broadcast that gives you the knowledge and tools to help you ruin a bad guy's day before they ruin yours. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast. I thank you so much. Hey, I'm Skip Myers. I'm the host of Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio, and I want to start off by thanking everyone who continues to support the show, and especially those loyal listeners who keep sending in all that great feedback and all those terrific emails. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. We have a great show lined up this week, including a very, very special guest and a recognized workplace dishonesty and pink collar crime expert. Yeah, I'll say that again, a pink collar crime expert. So be a great show folks and this is kelly paxson who will discuss her research into criminal behavior and investigations into trusted employees that committed fraud against their employers but first as always like to start the show with some good news and bad news and updates involving some very stupid criminals hey this just in from the huffington post suspects loud release of gas yeah you heard that loud a suspect's loud release of gas helps police sniff out his hiding place well the liberty police department in missouri said no one was hurt by the blast. A man trying to elude police in Missouri ended up being betrayed by his own backside. Liberty Police Department officers over the weekend were searching vainly for a man wanted on warrant charging possession of a, of a controlled substance, according to Kansas City Star newspaper. However, the suspect may have gotten away if it hadn't been betrayed by his own backside. We'll explain further. It seems that the man let out a large, yep, you're, you guess it, a large flagellantful sound. Call a fart in the south, right the wrong time, allowing the officers to sniff out where he was hiding, according to local police. Fortunately for the bad guy, the cops have not released his identity at this time. So the nearby Clay County Sheriff's Office got wind of the arrest and decided to turn in, it into a cautionary tale on Twitter, presumably to discourage others from engaging in criminal behavior, or in this case, a little humor from the police department, at least avoiding beans and other foods or high fiber before committing any illegal activity. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. Hey, so this is what the sheriff's department said on and posted on Twitter. Hey, if you have a felony warrant for your arrest and the cops are looking for you and you pass gas so loud that it gives up your hiding spot, well, you're probably having a crappy day. Uh, the Liberty Police Department apparently appreciated the tweet nearby and just for the publicity, wanted to add some more wisecracks about the loud noise. And yes, they did let that Twitter tweet rip and one response went like this. So, hey, thanks to the local sheriff's department for airing out a wanted person's dirty laundry and fanning the flames. The Liberty Police Department was surprised to see this incident well, slip out, which stinks for the arrestee. And fortunately, no one was injured during this arrest. So guys, you can't make this stuff up. Another stupid criminal who probably needs to watch his diet. So hey, guys, I got another great story I want to talk about. And this is a great lead in, a little bit more serious stuff on a serious note. But this story, great lead in to our guest forthcoming here. And it's a story that comes out of Martha's Vineyard. And pay really close attention to this because the story is titled, Woman Accused of Embezzling $3 Million. And so some of these funds apparently were allegedly used to purchase a Martha Vineyard house in Massachusetts. So 
So here goes the story. A woman who allegedly embezzled $3 million from her Waltham-based employer used some of that money to buy a home in Vineyard Haven, Massachusetts, near Martha's Vineyard. The suspect of Vineyard Haven was arrested recently and charged with one count of bank fraud in the U.S. District Court in Boston. According to the affidavit, the suspect was an executive assistant to the chief financial officer of a Waltham-based technology company. The company is not named in the court records, but it looks like the duties of this suspect included retrieving incoming mail containing customer checks made payable to her employer. All of you in the uh, fraud prevention business probably have heard this story before. This, this seems to be a repeated problem with people in positions of trust. So this suspect would also record the checks into the payment system of the company and depositing the checks into her employer's bank account, a press release said by the U.S. Uh, District Attorney. So between February 2012 and July 2017, the suspect allegedly stole funds from her employer and used the funds to buy a car as well as a really nice house in Vineyard Haven, Massachusetts in 2015. She allegedly created a, a sham company with a similar name of her employer but added an S to the end of the name, the affidavit states. So the suspect took the checks, made them out to her sham company, and deposit them into an account that she made up with a local credit union. Sound familiar? Hey, according to the affidavit, the company discovered discrepancies during a 2017 audit that uncovered that a number of the checks, despite appearing as paid in their billing system, could not be reconciled uh, within the company's bank accounts. So in total, the suspect emb embezzled approximately, get this, embezzled approximately $3,076,000 from her former employer. This suspect in this particular case up there in Martha's Vineyard could face up to 30 years in prison and a fine up to $1 million, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Hey, well, I guess sometimes, you know, crime doesn't pay after all, after all does it? In this particular case, sounds like it was so easy, or at least this suspect thought it was so easy to commit fraud against their employers. So, hey, guys, hey, that's some great news and information. Hope you got a little chuckle out of that. Make sure you watch your fiber and what you eat, especially if you're going to go out and commit a crime. So I'm just kidding. Anyway, I thought I heard somebody laughing in the background. So anyway, hey, today, guys, as promised, Rooney Bad Guys Day Radio will be featuring some of the top fraud fighters in the industry and industry experts in 2019. And today, I am especially excited to introduce to you Kelly Paxton. Kelly Paxton's with PinkCollarCrime.com. Kelly's a nationally recognized expert and speaker on Pink Collar Crime. Hey, Kelly's one of the good guys. She spent a, an entire career investigating hundreds of cases ranging from money laundering to conflict of interest to investment schemes. So, hey, Kelly, how you doing? I'm so glad you could join us today. I am doing great, and I just, I, I love your uh, stupid criminal stories, but had not heard that, um, fiber-heavy story before. <laughs> I think that was me you heard chuckling in the background. I, I probably you can't true. make this stuff up. That's right. So. You know, I, I search high and low for those stories, so. Um. <laughs> so yeah. how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, I'm actually, the story that, you, the second story, the $3 million over five years, just to give it a, a little bit of context, that's an extra $600,000 tax-free. So oh, yeah. you're, you're talking a lot of extra money in five years. But if I looked at, um, and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, it wasn't one check for $3 million. It was, you know, over five years. And I would guess in my experience, the first year probably wasn't quite as much as the last year. 
She probably started a little bit smaller and it just increased over time. So yeah, it's a fascinating case. You're right. And that's great feedback and advice there, Kelly. But you know, for our new listeners here and especially our loyal listeners, I have to ask, you know, with Pink Collar Crime, you know, how'd you come up with your website name, pinkcollarcrime.com? That's, that's awesome. So, um, pink, I did not make up the term pink collar crime. Criminologists, a lot smarter than me, came up with the term. It was popularized in 1989 by Dr. Kathleen Daly, who's actually down in Australia now. But I've emailed her and because I was a little sheepish saying, hey, I got pinkcollarcrime.com, but she was <laughs> delightful, had no issue. She actually doesn't do this type of work anymore. I mean, she's still a criminologist, but her focus has changed. But um, so in 1989 in Criminology Magazine, she did a, she wrote an article and it was based on a study. And basically pink collar crime is lower level employees, think accounts receivable, accounts payable, office manager, who steal petty amounts from the workplace. So it's pink because that's kind of, and again, this isn't my term, the pink collar ghetto, which actually the Wall Street Journal came up with that term. Those positions are primarily filled by women. But one thing for anyone who checks me out afterwards is I love hashtags. And one of my hashtags is it's position, not gender. I am equal opportunity. If you're a man who's in accounts receivable or a pink position and you steal, you're a pink collar criminal. So it's position, not gender. It's just, you know, over 90% of those positions are filled by women. Right. Yeah. So. We, get, we get caught in that trap, especially watching the news or television and movies. I mean, you see the bad guys like the Bernie Madoffs. I mean, these men in powerful positions. And we often forget about some of the other folks behind the scenes, like this woman and the suspect in this case we talked about, who's actually, you know, hands-on with the books. She's she's processing all kinds of financial transactions and cash and checks. And what a bright, well, yeah. great place to be. And- When you read the story, she's the executive assistant. And so I'm going to call that some people who are business owners will kind of refer to that person as the day wife, the one who takes care of everything (laughs) throughout the day. Doctors or medical professionals refer to, you know, that office manager, executive assistant as the day wife, but she was picking up the mail. She was doing the computer entry. She was going to the bank. You can't have one person do all of that. Right. And, and, you know, this goes to the whole people think, well, it can't happen to me because my daughter or my sister or my wife does my books. Exactly. No, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. So if you're going to count your books on your spouse, going in with that statistic, and I can show you stories of children, wives, you know. (laughs) So So, hey, Kelly, Kelly, we're going to get deep into this, folks. And and everyone, thank you for tuning in today. And Kelly is such a wealth of knowledge. But I think it would be a disservice if we didn't talk about the, the background and the breadth of her entire experience in this business. So Kelly, tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got in the business. You know, I know you're a private investigator, you're CFE, but I think the listeners would really like to know about the level of experience and knowledge that you have in this business. Sure. So I started off in traditional finance. Um, I started my career at the Chicago Board of Trade. I became a stockbroker and moved back to Portland. And we had a client who, um, this was back before Know Your Customer, so nothing, you know, hinky here. He, We just didn't know where his money came from. We had ideas. One day, um, a special agent from U.S. Customs called and I answered the phone and she asked if we knew who Alan Taylor was. And this is all public record. And I kind of giggled, you know, I was in my mid to late 20s. And um, so he had stolen money 
and uh, he was arrested for wire fraud. And I have no problem picking up the phone, sending out an email or a text when I'm curious. And so about a year and a half later, I kept her phone number and I called her up and I said, hey, I wanna do what you do. So I became a special agent. I had never touched a gun in my life until I was was actually, until I was 30 years old or maybe it was 29. Um, I became a special agent and I specialized in money laundering, white collar crime. I did the undercover books for um, you know our district. And But I arrested your typical, and I'm gonna air quote it, bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, guys you were scared about, you'd cross the street for. And then life happened, my husband got a job in the middle of the country, I had to leave customs, and I kind of hung around the periphery of law enforcement. I did security clearances um, for the Office of Personnel Management. I came back to Portland with my family and I started working at a local sheriff's office. I got my certified fraud examiner designation and I became their fraud analyst. But I realized we were doing lower level embezzlement cases. Mind you, they were, you know, six, seven figure embezzlement cases. And one day I'm like, all my suspects with the exception of one were female. And so I Googled female embezzlers and I came across the term pink collar crime. And then about a year and a half after that, I went out on my own and I got the domain name and I've been speaking and training on it ever since. Awesome. Well, th- those are some great steps to get to where you are today to fight fraud and the criminals. But hey, what are some of your superpowers though? I mean, you're so talented and experienced. What, what are those superpowers that you always go back to to fight the bad guys? You know, I love to make connections. So you know, a connection might be the salary doesn't match the car, the salary doesn't match the house, or, you know, I say Portland's a small town and there's only two degrees of separation instead of Kevin Bacon's six. So um, making those connections and kind of drawing lines between things that just don't make sense. And, you know, one thing is you get, when I had subpoena power and could get bank records, it would be like me at Christmas. My boss would come into the office and I'd be sitting on the floor and I'd had boxes of, you know, paper. And I loved it because if I look at someone's checkbook, I can pretty much tell you what their priorities are, what they like to do. It's like a window into the soul. Mm-hmm. You give me a check book and I can I can tell a lot about a person. This business needs people like you. There's so many people in our business that were probably, you know, maybe sometimes thrown into that position or they took over for somebody that left. But, you know, it's hard for them to connect the dots and it takes that special personality, someone who can really find that needle in the haystack, especially when you're looking for frosters who are trying to keep their scheme hidden. Yeah, you know, my dad uh, always said I was snoopy. I kind of like to say I'm curious. But mm-hmm. when, when things just don't make sense, it's like, yeah, I mean, I had a dentist who got ripped off and he's like well maybe I should have known when she had a newer model BMW than me and I'm like <laughs> you know I know you're kidding but you're not but yeah you're she, you're paying her $18 an hour and she drives a you know $50,000 car and yours is only 25000 like it doesn't make sense uh yeah it does take a high level of common sense uh in this business <laughs> Yeah. Which is not so common. So, hey, anyway, let, you know, there's some a lot of good listeners out there that have a lot of great questions with topics we're talking about and why certain people and companies, the the employees that really do the hard work every single day, why they go bad. And, you know, a lot of a, a lot of those questions and, and some of the questions that preparing for this podcast, you know, we know that, that a lot of frosters are sometimes those long-term and trusted employees, just like we talked about in, in this case, just like this woman in that embezzlement case. But why do good employees 
go bad? And that's a big question I get all the time, especially when I'm working in an internal theft case. You know, why do good employees go bad and what can we do to prevent it? So um, for the people who aren't aware of it, there's the fraud triangle, which is opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. The only thing you can control for is opportunity. And you know what? People's lives change. So you can have someone who's been star employee forever, but something changes in their life and they make a bad decision. And um, I just was at the ACFE Global Conference and John Herleman gave this great presentation. And one of the things there is once it starts, it never stops. So once they make, once they cross the line, they don't stop. So you can only control for the opportunity. You could pay, you know, your office manager a million dollars a year, but if they need a $2 million paycheck, they're going to steal if there is opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you can't control for the pressures and the rationalizations. It's just, it's in their head. Right. You know, so many companies, though, they, they really focus on, you know, what their version of that opportunity through throwing out more and more controls and policies and, and, and it creates a work environment that's very stressful. And instead of thinking, and sometimes, and I think we sort of talked about this the other day, instead of building a, a culture of compliance, how about a culture of commitment where you get the buy-in of your employees who believe the greater vision and, and how they can add value? And I think sometimes the companies focus on, you know, that compliance piece a little too hard and that extra pressure that you're talking about can really drive someone nuts and do things that they they shouldn't do. And you know, this is the, so I'm the pink collar crime lady, but I also do a presentation called Honestly Dishonest, you know, how good people make bad choices, but it goes to tone at the top. And I can't stress this enough is tone at the top. Don't give your employees any sort of rationalization that you've got. You shouldn't give them the rationalization. And, you know, 60% of all dentists, it's crazy, get embezzled. And I will get a dentist and he'll say, you know, I pay him better than average. And they'll talk a lot about it, but then something will slip out like, you know, well, I took my wife and kids to, you know, Key West for um, a continuing ed course. And I came back and I gave the bill to my office manager, the $20,000 bill. And she said, well, how do you want me to break it out? I took, know you took the wife and kids. And the dentist says, just pay it. Now, the office manager doesn't know if he's going to do a journal entry at the end of the year to adjust for it. But at that moment, and it might not happen then, it might not happen six weeks, six months, six years. They're going, you know what? He didn't pay taxes on that nice family vacation. How come he gets to do that? And I can't even take my kids to the shore for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And so I say never give them that appearance that you're not towing the line. Like it's just not worth it because they're going to rationalize that behavior. Like, well, he did it and didn't pay taxes. So what's $200 for me? Sure. And you're right. It's about that corporate culture. You know, what, what's the culture you're trying to create? Is it, is it solely just based on trying to, you know, uh, make profits and, in revenue? Or are you really taking care of the people that are actually helping you grow the business? And that's where a lot of companies get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I can't pound it in enough is a tone at the top. And you mm-hmm. know, it's ethics is a muscle and we use it. We need to use it every single day. You can't just, I mean, and there's lots of, you know, again, smarter people than me, academics who do this. You can't just once a year have your employees sign, I'm going to behave. It doesn't work. You need to continually remind them. Exactly. You know, what's interesting, a lot of times in the investigations that I've done and talking to some some of the uh, high level executives at some companies, sometimes they focus on 
the wrong things. They're focused on, well, the computer equipment, you know, the smartphones in the workplace, these are the things that are committing the fraud or, or allowing hackers to come in, which is basically true, but it's, it's the people that are committing the embezzlements and the fraud and coming up with these schemes. And that's a great point, Kelly, that, you know, it does start at the top, you know, it, it filters down and, and that can really create a, a healthy work environment or one that's not so healthy that could lead to fraud. Well, yeah, and so, you know, in, in the case that you referenced, they did an audit in 2017 and it found it, but audits don't find fraud generally. The, the best way to find, or, you know, the most often way to find fraud is through tips. Mm-hmm. And if your employees don't feel comfortable coming to you about another employee, maybe their boss, um, they're not gonna do it. And you won't find the fraud until it's just, huge. And they probably did an audit because something wasn't balancing and they went and said, let's take a look at it. And maybe it was because she was the executive assistant and they were too scared to go to the CEO. Right. Because in the past, maybe that had happened and there'd been retaliation. So you need to empower your employees to, if you see something say something and don't, don't ever retaliate. People that have alert lines or whistleblower lines, if it's quiet, that's not a good sign. Exactly. That means people are too scared to call it. And you know that from your business. Oh, yeah. It's a false sense of security. You know, it's like, oh, we're not getting any calls. We're great. Meanwhile, you're trying to figure out how come I had six internal cases last month. Right. And no one's calling me. But you're, yeah, it's that environment, the culture set up, whether or not your employees feel that they there's trust. And is it really anonymous? I mean, so it's the communication of that line and how you're presenting that trust you built within your organization. Absolutely. So it's crazy. So, hey, this is a great time, great segue to discuss really what pink collar crime really is. And can you explain, Kelly, to our listeners you know, what pink collar crime is, you, you've touched on it so far, but really, how is it different than white collar crime? So white collar crime, the term came out in 1939 by Edwin Sutherland. And it's a, you know, it's a crime committed by a person of high social status in their position. So, and there's been a lot of, you know, debate over the years, is it based on the offender or the offense? But when people think of white collar crime, the, the vision they get it's Bernie Madoff, or it's a, mm-hmm. you know, a young, hot Wall Street trader and a hedge fund. That's white collar crime is just, it's the Wall Street Journal sort of, you know, above the fold stories. Whereas pink collar crime is, I call it the relatable crime. We don't relate to Bernie Madoff. No. Yeah. I mean, most people didn't invest with him. Regular people didn't. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of people don't even feel sorry for the people who lost money with Bernie, which is totally wrong, completely wrong. But um, we do relate to the dental office, to the soccer team, to the water district, you know, the crimes that happen in our neighborhoods. And they're committed by people that we know. Mm -hmm. Like we see them at the store. Our kids go to school with their kids. So I call them the relatable crime or the everywhere crime. Everywhere I go and people find out what I do, they're like, let me tell you about my embezzlement. Exactly. I mean, white collar crime, I guess my version is, is it made for Hollywood or made for TV. And that's what it is in the general public. That's what they see. The the most salacious, you know, frauds and Bernie Madoffs of the world, you know, that make the news and make the headlines and make movies. And, you know, the general public uh, forgets about that. Yeah, those bad guys are the people in that bookkeeper's office or the people that's the treasurer for the PTA. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Crazy. So again, we're back to, you know, people in positions of trust are violating these positions um, and using that position to embezzle their company. So are there typical white collar crime criminals out there? I mean, there, is there sort of like a, a, a group of people that you would classify 
as someone you would really look for? And, you know, and what are some of those traits, if there are such a thing, of a, of a true pink collar criminal? Sure. So there's, I've got several traits. One of them is, uh, you know, they're not the disgruntled employee generally. It's kind of like, you know, your go-to person. And they're the go-to person who never takes vacation. So mm-hmm. you need yeah. to make your employees take vacations. And I was just listening to like marketplace money about microcations, and those are like two or three days. So millennials are taking microcation. Well, if someone's gone two or three days, no one's going to cover their responsibilities in there. And the FDIC actually has a two week desk audit because if you're not at work, you can't cover it up. So employees that aren't taking vacations, that's a pink flag. I call them pink flags instead of red flags. But um, I had a dentist who got ripped off, nicest young woman ever. And we had to see when her office manager was in the office. In six and a half years, she only took one and a half days of vacation. Her husband had surgery for cancer, didn't miss a day. She got in a car accident. She came in with like the whiplash, you know, you see on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. She couldn't miss work because she had to answer the phone. She had to get the statements. So, yeah, so employees that don't take vacations, and actually, I got to write a blog post about these micro-vacations. Those don't count because if you're only gone two or three days, people are going to say, oh, they're going to be back. We don't need to look at their stuff. No, you need well, to look at the stuff. No, you're right. And, and other people that are in the office, I mean, they don't want to do someone else's work too. So so it's it's a part of the whole culture of the problem um, as well. So that bad guy, pink collar criminal, will take advantage of that culture and that company, knowing that no one's going to really come over and do Kelly's job. Boy, Kelly, you know, Kelly does a lot of stuff that's really difficult. I don't want any part of that. So they're hoping you get back so you do it. So they, they don't want to touch your... <laughs> your side of the business, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. There was actually this week, there's a priest who got um, in a car accident. And when he, you know, the police came, he had over $19,000 in cash. It turns out he had been embezzling for years. So he literally was in a car accident. They found a bag of money and it all unraveled to find out his embezzlement. So not being able to get into work is a big thing. Um, If you have an employee that has a garnishment, a lien, their financial circumstances have changed and you know it, I kind of like, you know, take off the blinders, open up your ears and start paying attention. I have a friend who had a manufacturing business and she's like, we get garnishments for, you know, child support or, you know, judgments all the time. And I said, do those employees touch money? She goes, no. And I said, okay, what about your office employees? Do those employees get garnishments? She's like, no. And I said, well, if your office manager gets a garnishment or a judgment, you need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then <laughs> I don't think it's on the story that you mentioned, but there was a woman who was caught this week and literally when after they terminated her, they went through her desk and underneath, you know, the sort of cover that your computer sits on the, to protect oh, yeah. the desk, she had a bunch of checks underneath her desk that she was, those were like checks she was going to steal. Like you can't make this. A, so now I'm like, well, maybe we should have like an office cleaning party once a month. <laughs> you know? I kind of joke about that, but You're right. I have had cases where like, you know, they've had the records in their desk. So if you do find out that someone's terminated, you know, first phone call is to an attorney. I never like to say hire an attorney, but you've got to hire an attorney. Um, You know what? Check their desk. Shocking, but 
a lot of people get sloppy and lazy and you'll find all sorts of stuff in their desk. And that's a common trait, you know, and we're going to get into this next question. We're going to cover some of that. But in my experience, clutter, disorganization, I mean, a messy desk. This isn't your closet genius, people. This is somebody most likely trying to cover the tracks or they got some other serious problems. But if you're a manager of an organization, a leader and so forth, you know, that's like Ellie's saying, that's a sign. And why wouldn't you want your organization or your workspace to be neat, clean, and tidy, and organized. So, especially if you're in the bookkeeping or financial side of the business, if that you desk better not is, come uh, to my office. <laughs> I mean, well, you got a little OCD, and so and people in our business, we are right. A little, you know, I'm a little. I, I want things in the right place. I can't have disorganization if I'm going to be able to do my job right. And yeah, so that's a, that. These are great warning signs. So, you know, you know, Kelly, we're talking about these traits and these characteristics of you know white white collar crime, or and in this case, pink collar crime criminals, and we're talking about the fraud triangles. Any of those traits or characteristics fit into that triangle where our listeners maybe can control or help prevent the fraud from occurring in the first place, maybe outside of uh, reducing that opportunity? So one of the first things, and these are all like easy, you know, I'm going to call them embezzlement hacks, but is like mail your bank statements home or mail them to a mailbox that only you can control. So, so many people don't do that, you know, but why would you mail them to the office where someone could intercept them? Right. Um, Yeah. So that's like the easiest thing to do is to do that. You know, another thing, if someone's financial circumstances have changed, again, I say, I've got this great term parking lot audit. Does the car match the salary? (laughs) So, I mean, I had, I had a guy just a couple hours south of me and the story was he showed up at work one day and there was an Escalade in the parking lot and he's like, Hmm, I know what I pay her. And then he starts like paying attention to what she's saying and she's talking about horses. And so he starts snooping around $800,000 later. And unfortunately for him, she stole from his personal accounts because he ran a corporation And if she would have stole from the corporate accounts, it would have been covered by insurance. But like literally look outside, you know, does the lifestyle match the salary? So many people want to look the other way though. You know, I don't want to get involved or, hey, Kelly's the hardest worker I've ever seen. She comes in early every day, leaves late, never takes a vacation. Heck, she never leaves her desk. You know, know, and and it's like, hey, that's, you know, that's a great trait. But kind of like what we're sort of talking about earlier, you know, with some of these characteristics, you know, trust but verify folks and and do some of the things Kelly's talking about. Some of the things are really obvious. You have somebody that maybe is an hourly worker and, and cruises up with a brand new Escalade. That that should raise some eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, call your tip line. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember a couple of cases I had too, where the, that level of trust from the bookkeeper or someone in, in the finance department was using fictitious businesses, basically that they created as vendors. And in one particular case I had was a, not a $3 million one, but it was about a $250,000 case, uh, Kelly, where this bookkeeper created bogus companies vendors and service related companies. And one was an extermination company. They would come in and, you know, spray the, the building, but in the, and he would send out the, the payment. Well, long story short, this business uh, got an audit from the state where they weren't paying taxes for the last th- three or four years. And that's when they called the, uh, <laughs> the financial crimes unit. And I started looking at the books and discovered a lot of these companies that were service related companies never existed. He was actually mailing them to 
himself and no one at the business ever realized that th- that address was his home. And, um, and, and then what they didn't notice too, they had a pretty bad bug problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so these are the things that Kelly's talking about folks is the common sense one in one equals two. If it doesn't look right and doesn't smell right, you know, th- it's worth a little bit more investigation or another look at that. So, you know, Hey Kelly, is there any other, you know, great tr- tips or tricks, you know, that you use for investigating and interviewing at, say, a pink collar criminal? So, you know, if if you think it's happening, and I'm going to tell you to trust your gut, because most people, it's, you know, if you think it, it's probably happening. Um, You've got to assemble a fraud team. And the coach is going to be an attorney. I have to be hired via an attorney because, you know, attorney client work privilege, you need to deal with insurance. Hopefully you have insurance. You may decide to, you know, contact law enforcement. If you have insurance, they're going to make sure that a police report is filed. Um, You may need a computer forensics person. And then the most important, and I've had a couple of victims tell me this now, is you need a therapist. And I don't (laughs) say that jokingly at all because money's replaceable. It's tangible. You know what? You can, as a dentist, you can fill and drill more. As a business owner, you can make and sell more widgets. But you've been ripped off. That feeling of just disappointment, shame, guilt, like how did I not see this happening Mm -hmm. is immense. And like I said, when people find out what I do, I mean, I, I met a guy about two months ago and he heard what I did. He immediately spilled out his story without, you know, and it it took place over 10 years ago. It is still fresh in his mind. You won't ever forget it. So um, I always tell business owners, get back to the business, leave it to the professionals. You absolutely do not want to confront someone without good legal counsel. Because if you mistakenly accuse someone of embezzlement, you're looking at a lawsuit. And Chipotle did that recently, and it cost them $8 million for falsely Yikes. accusing a worker. Yeah, don't let that. your emotions overrule your, your yeah. brain. Because that- this is incredibly emotional. I mean, I, I had a woman last week cried on the phone to me. And, you know, she, I met her yesterday, teared up again yesterday, because the shame, the how didn't I see it happen? And I right. trusted her. It, it's, you know what? Money's just money, but mm-hmm. all this other stuff is so much harder to get past. Very personal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And that, that's a big, that's a big difference between pink collar and white collar. White collar crime is very hands off. It's like, oh, it's financial statement fraud or Ponzi schemes. But pink collar, these are people that have been in your business. They have come into your home a lot of times. They're family members sometimes, and they have violated you possibly every day for maybe even decades. And can you imagine that feeling? Oh yeah. Every day lying straight to your face, heck, yeah. maybe babysitting their kids or, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so sad. And, and what's, what's interesting, we sort of talked about this pre podcast, but you know, we feel for the victims and the vi- victims should not feel shame. We understand that. Heck, a lot of people in the fraud prevention business, we've been victims of crimes ourselves. And maybe that's why we're 
pretty good at what we do, but we know what to look for and we, we've been hit before and we know that feeling and impact that it, that it has and the emotions that well up inside you about the personal vendetta basically you want to have and how sometimes you don't want to share that information, but it is so important, isn't it, Kelly, to share that information and support those victims so we can help them and help share that information with others so others don't fall victims to the same scam. Yeah, I mean, when I was at the sheriff's office, I got banned from saying press release because I wanted a press release on every single case. And the uh, public information officer, he's like, these cases are boring. No one wants to hear about this. Oh, boy. And so the yeah. woman I met with yesterday, she's just like, I wanted to make it so law enforcement has to do this because I want people to understand it happens all the time. And yeah, right. it's so, you know, you've got to get the word out. Right. The fraud cannot be watered down because it's not bleeding to death on the side of the road or it's a gunshot, you know, homicide, you know, at the mall. I mean, it's this is still important enough to build awareness and education with the general public so they don't become victims of, of fraud schemes and so forth. So a lot of the a lot of this information has been watered down in our society and with the news. And, you know, people like Kelly folks are really trying to do a great job to get the word out. So it, it raises that awareness and it's front and center, hopefully more so with more news releases. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And maybe that bad guy's going to be running down the road from the police one day after he left a, a restaurant that <laughs> sold him. He ate a lot of high fiber or, well, no, let's not talk about that. So we'll, uh, we'll think about that. <laughs> but um, so, hey, hey, everyone, thanks so much to Kelly for being a great guest today. I can't say enough what a pleasure it has been talking fraud and learning about pink collar criminals today. Kelly, thank you so much. And hey, do you have any other final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners? You know, optimism bias. We always think it can't happen to us, but it can. I mean, I'm a victim of it tangentially from a piece of property I own where the water district was stolen from. And actually, the woman ended up committing suicide. But um, it can happen to anyone. I don't care if you're an astronaut. There's an astronaut in Seattle who um, $750,000 to a brain surgeon. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It's like at some point, you have to give up control and you have to trust. But just because you trust doesn't mean you don't verify. That's exactly right. Yeah, trust, but always verify. And if in your own particular environment, do something that creates that level and what we call in criminology 101, and Kelly, you can start laughing, that perception of detection. Someone's got to know that you're going to follow up. Someone's got to know you're going to double check on them. And because as a manager or a leader in your organization, that's part of your job, whether or not it's dealing with someone that has a potential to commit fraud. So create a perception of detection where you're doing something extra. And that a lot of times, that's just building relationships, understanding the people's family situation, knowing the names of their kids, and understanding when they go from a 1985 uh, Ford Escort to a 9,019 Escalade, then that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. The parking lot audit. I love that. And that's, man, what a great takeaway. So, um, hey, Kelly, you know, how can our listeners contact you for more help and advice? So I have the website, pinkcolorcrime.com. I also have kellypaxton.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I tweet. My Twitter handle is pdxcfe. Hit me up on email, LinkedIn, Twitter. I love to talk to, you know, victims. I also talk to the perpetrators. I get a lot of people who have committed these crimes find out about me and they want to tell me their story. I love that. Yeah. It's awesome. So just my websites or LinkedIn or Twitter, I'm all over. That's right. We got to listen. You know, that's a great point. But I was thinking about it earlier and you just mentioned it. A lot of times in our people in our business, 
we have to do a better job of listening to the bad guys. And sometimes we don't always get to interview them or interrogate them, but listen to those behaviors. And if we do get a chance to talk to them, explain to the victims or potential victims out there why that bad guy thought it was easy to commit fraud against your company or against against you. A lot of times those criminals believe it was just too easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I love talking to the bad guys. And I, you know, I have a colleague who doesn't like to talk to the bad guy or listen to the bad guys. And I'm like, you're not going to learn if you don't listen to what caused it. And, you, and, you're yeah. right, and most of the fraudsters, when they're, that, they're in that situation, and maybe not murderers and, and robbers, yeah. but a lot of the financial fraudsters out there like after they've been busted, they like to brag about their case. They, they like to talk about it and because it's a big deal. They think they were the genius in the room that outsmarted everybody. They did for a while, but somebody smarter like Kelly, you know, caught up to them. But that's that's so important. So always, if you get a chance, take that opportunity to learn from the criminals or learn from what they're writing in white papers and through podcasts, just like Ruin a Bad Guy's Day. Yep. So, hey, great, Kelly. Great so much. Hey, everyone, I'll have all of Kelly's contact information that she spoke about listed in the podcast notes with links to her website and LinkedIn pages and Twitter accounts. Please reach out to Kelly for some more information and advice. Kelly's a great resource on fighting pink collar criminals. So, hey, guys, as always, please subscribe to and like Running Bad Guys A Radio on Apple iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and all those other free download services. We really appreciate your feedback and continued support. And hey, thanks again, and stay tuned for another great episode from Runa Bad Guys Day Radio. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Ruina Bad Guys Day Radio Podcast with Skip Myers. If you liked our show, please tell your friends and colleagues. You can learn more about us at ruinabadguysday.com or visit us on Twitter and Facebook at Ruin a Bad Guys Day. Join us for another episode of Ruin a Bad Guys Day radio podcast. The information provided in Ruin a Bad Guys Day radio podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. You should consult with legal counsel or other professionals to determine what may be best for your individual or organizational needs.